Welcome to The Weekly, a podcast brought to you by Calvary Bible Church. I'm your host. I reside usually on the Erie campus. My name is G.A. Ewing, and it's going to be with you today. I hope you're having a fun, fitting day wherever you are listening to this. You're on that commute to I-25, hang in there. It only gets better. And also, if you're listening at home doing dishes, you missed a spot. <laughs> we were doing dishes the other night at some friends' houses. Yeah. And I was told you have to get the dish like 90% clean, and then the drying rag takes care of the rest. How do you feel about that? <laughs> you know what? I feel pretty good about that. I like those. <laughs> it's better than some places you eat dishes from food off dishes in some restaurants. Yeah. I would say. But hey, this is Thomas on the other end. He's sitting down with us this week. He declared on Sunday morning that he would clarify everything yeah. that he muddled. I think I said that in Revelation. Pastor Jay Ewing has a podcast. <laughs> you should tune in. It can be helpful. Thomas, I have a really important question yeah. before we get here. Mm-hmm. What is the fall sport that you enjoy most? So, like, you know, we have summer, we have winter, we know our our yeah. Affinities for skiing and all things Colorado in the winter. What is your fall go-to? Man, it's it's bigger than that. What's that? All right, so you know how people dog on bandwagon fans? Yeah. I have decided in my own life, I'm going to root for the Buffs. Mm-hmm. And then outside that, probably the Broncos. Right. But instead, I'm just going to be the largest bandwagon fan of all time. And so <laughs> I want to create a calendar that just has the best moments of every sport. Like I could care less about Major League Baseball right. for 95% of the season. But what's better than playoff baseball? Yeah. It's amazing. It is. And so I want to follow playoff baseball right now. So you like go from playoff to playoff. Exactly. There's, I just basically want to watch the playoffs and, you know, the Masters. Yeah. I'll watch some US Open. Yeah, that's what I want to do. I just want to watch the best of everything. You're exactly what the TV <laughs> wants to market to <laughs> that individual to tune in at yeah, that moment. That's good. And that's why they sell that space. Perfect. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to be sold too. Because like middle of June, baseball game between the Philadelphia Phillies and <laughs> Arizona, Kansas, yeah, and the, and the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks. <laughs> game seven. Unless you're in the stadium eating a great. That's true. Hot dog. But game seven, who yeah. goes to the World Series? Yeah. How can you miss that? Yeah, you're right. That's super interesting. I like that. Yeah, That's so sort of... I just want a calendar that someone prints off <laughs> and just says, these are all the major playoffs and events. Right. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Tune in. NCAA. Yeah, yeah. Did you watch a bunch of uh, Duke basketball leading up to the Sweet 16? <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> yeah. Actually, COVID <laughs> had took my affinity for all those things away. Really? Yeah, and I just don't tune in as much as I used to. Is that because you think you lost your taste? I think I lost my taste sports. in sports. Mm. It's a side effect of COVID. Yeah, side effect of COVID. But also, like I've I've narrowed my focus in sports, so really? I will watch more baseball games than anything else. Okay, just because I enjoy that sport the most. So you basically did the exact opposite totally. of what I've done. Yeah, I watched the Super Bowl. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'll watch the college football playoff. Yeah, because that's super interesting. But outside of that. Eh, I I don't I've not seen an NBA final in four years. Dude, you should watch an NBA final. They're great. Yeah, I, I think I just want them. urgency. Like yeah, if, yeah. I just, I don't know. I totally, just need, I just need urgency. I watch the Masters. I love the Masters. Yeah, it's a great week when the Masters are on. But 
and when baseball's not on in the seasons that it's not on Sunday afternoons, if I'm going to watch anything, golf is going to be in the background. Really? <laughs> yeah. So, so what's your fall sport then? Would it be baseball? My fall sport is pumpkin spice lattes <laughs> and everything pumpkin. Okay. Someone told me, <laughs> can't remember who it was the other day that Starbucks sent out kind of an anonymous <laughs> survey no. of favorite drinks. Yeah. Where do you think the pumpkin spice latte ranked? Oh, uh, probably third or fourth. Dead last. Really? Yeah. Wow. Isn't that wild? That is wild. Nobody wants pumpkin spice. No one wants No one, because everything's pumpkin now. <laughs> At food trucks and football, or not food trucks and football. I, I run the event. I don't even know the name anymore. At the kickoff cookoff this year. Yeah. My favorite chili was a pumpkin chili. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, it had a little hint of cinnamon in it, too. And I was, like, taken back because it was, like, chicken. It was, like, chili, yeah. but it had, like, a pumpkin taste. I think anything pumpkin is, like, somebody sat down and said, <laughs> how could we liquefy pumpkin pie? Right. How could we put pumpkin pie in a meal? I love pumpkin pie. <laughs> drink this. How yeah. can we have this as a frozen treat? I, my yeah. favorite spice is cinnamon, though. So that might give it away why I like pumpkin mm. so much. Yeah. Like, I love that spice. That's one of my favorites. So, anyways, it's super random. It's but random. the fall is wonderful because, like, this year, especially in Colorado, switching from food and sports, uh, the f- leaves have been great this year because yeah. the wind hasn't come down or early snow and knocked everything down. Yeah, there hasn't been a bitter cold. No, this leaves are fantastic on the front range this year. So, I love that I, about I, this okay, fall. Also, random thoughts, and we should probably start talking about something. But... Uh, have, we you got know, have you noticed how good the sunsets are lately? Oh man, they're spectacular. Yeah. Like it's it's unreal. It is unreal. It is very unreal this year. Anyways, yeah. hey, if you don't know, you, we want you connected here at Calvary. Go to calvarybible.com. Click your campus, click your events, make sure you're connected in the community here at Calvary. It is a fantastic community. As a recipient of this community, 8 years plus I have been at Calvary. This is a wonderful community. We want you to experience that wonderful community, but you have to step in, people. So go to calvarybible.com, click your campus, do me a solid, and someday when you see me, say, Jay, I stepped into Calvary because I listened to your podcast. That would just bless me. Or you can just give me some sweetest fish to thank me. <laughs> All right, we're, we're continuing in the series in Revelation. Yeah, we are. And the can weekly we- is set up traditionally to kind of talk about implications, deeper conversation yep. of what happened on Sunday morning. Originally, it was created because I would come in on Monday and Tuesday and have these wonderful conversations with all the preachers and think, I wish more people heard these conversations. Yeah. Because they really encouraged me, deepened my faith, solidified. I got to ask some questions that I was curious about. You know, because I know as a preacher, especially in the book of Revelation, we can't slow down. Nor do we want to go down all these rabbit trails. You know what I mean? That wouldn't be helpful. So the podcast is designed to sort of things you left behind. Yeah. You see how I did that with the Revelation series? <laughs> Come on now. But uh, I didn't even mean to do that, but that, that worked terrible. out. But I want you know people to hear these conversations. Yeah. And that's my genuine because you guys are the real deal on Monday through Saturday, just not on Sunday. By the way, this is random, but I heard you have a super fan up in Leadville, Colorado. Really? Uh-huh. 
Man. I heard about this. There's a friend of a friend said she ran into someone who said, did you, did you go to Calvary Bible Church? Did you, have you ever heard of this guy? Sweet. Maybe they yeah. have a ski lodge I could use. <laughs> Anyways. All right, let's, let's do this. Let's, that let's was kind random. of walk through. We you're, did chapter 10 and 11. Are, hey, I'm the host. You're... You're, I'm taking uh, over. Man. No, no, you're not. You're not. We, you we are. Questions. We are through chapters 10, 11, 10, 11, and 12 is coming this week. And that might be one of my favorite chapters of all of the yeah. revelation. Well, so 12, 13 and 14, mm-hmm. I think are another continuous thought that we'll look at. So we have a couple weeks. Yeah. To look at the dragon. Right. Beasts. Right. And we get to look at the marks, marks. of the beast. Wow. It's going to be great. That's so interesting. So, so we're in 10 11. Yeah, so 10 11. And you started off the sermon in a unique way. Mm. You you shared with us exactly what the point of the those two chapters were before we ever read the chapters. Yeah. And I, I thought people, that was helpful. Well, I think people appreciate a three-minute sermon. Then they can check out. <laughs> then they can do some fantasy like football on their phone. <laughs> Got the point. Moving on. Yeah. But it was really interesting because you made this first point. You said when God brings his judgment... He extends his grace. And this is a biblical theme. This is a thread through the scriptures that I think is really important for us to slow down to make sure we're paying attention to. And you made the point that there's some biblical stories that illustrate this. What are those biblical stories? Which ones do you remember? We got Noah in the ark. Yeah. God extended his grace through a family, um, Noah's family. We had Moses and Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. God extended his long, enduring grace towards um, the people of God. But not necessarily only that, but to most, to Pharaoh himself, mm-hmm. Pharaoh had a quite a long time to repent. Yeah, um, Those were the two most sort of present ones yeah. that I really loved. I think, it, I mean, I think you could actually mine almost any of these stories mm-hmm. where God brings his judgment, which is his right and fitting response to evil. And in the midst of that, he's extending grace for anyone who would receive it. I'm thinking even in gener, gener, uh, Genesis 17, where God brings judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, he extends his grace through Abraham. Yeah, with the visitation. Oh, and I mean, you go. The, it's like it's everywhere. He extends his, you know, he extends his judgment through snake bites in the wilderness, and here's an object of grace. Mm. You know. Yeah. So. Anyway, I think when you come to Revelation, there's so much division on what are the, in the details, mm-hmm. which I, man, I'm like a Bible nut. I love it. But to be most helpful on Sunday, it's like, what is the big idea thread that we can pull out of this? And then let's like jump into some of the details. But overall, whatever, whatever stance you take on 10 and 11, one thing that I think we should just pull out of this is here's a letter written to churches that are experiencing hardship, that are experiencing persecution, that he's warning them about their maybe impeding judgment, and then all that is like, hey, I'm going to have grace extended. Right. And the big, big idea is I'm going to have a witnessing community mm-hmm. on the earth to that grace until the seventh trumpet is blown, until the finality. So grace is extended all the way up to the last second. Yeah. So it's like even like the thief on the cross. It seems It, it appears that way. Now, yeah. that's not to ignore... The conclusion. Yeah. There is a conclusion. But there's a conclusion to both his judgment mm-hmm. and grace. So is judgment supposed to just make us sad, or is it supposed to do something else in us as no, I think, believers? Yeah, I think in, in, in a sense, from chapter 10, it's the sweet honey 
Okay. He long for judgment. Explain that one. Well, uh, so in, in 10, he says, you know, that the angel actually tells John to take this scroll, which he must prophesy. He has to talk about God's word and to ingest it. So he tells him to eat it, which is a vivid picture of take in God's word, then to proclaim God's word. And, and this has happened in other prophets. Ezekiel is another one. Where they was, he was supposed to eat the scroll. Yep. And it's it tastes sweet and it's bitter. Mm. And so there's the sweetness of judgment. Like, I think we would all crave it. There are things where we just say, that needs to be made right. Yeah. And yes. consequences need to be dealt. Mm-hmm. And so when you see the arm of justice come in and bring that correction, you're excited. Mm-hmm. But then you see the pain and hardship of, of those who receive the judgment. And it's it's hard to stomach. Because we all know and have loved ones who will receive judgment. Yeah, I mean, I think you can think of any situation, even with your own, your own kids. It's like, I know I need to correct this behavior. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, my, my dad would tell me, like, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And you're like, now, you know? Yeah. And it actually does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> like, it's, man, it hurts the soul. Yeah, it does. Um, so I think there's just a, a sense of God's word is both sweet mm-hmm. and bitter. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of Christians make the mistake of trying to excuse the parts that are really bitter, like trying to make them sweet. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to do that. Yeah. And to and then there's other Christians. I see this too, where like let the par, let the sweet parts just be sweet, um, because what they've done is there's always a caveat. Like yeah, his grace is good, but you need to. And then yeah. you know that they make it almost bitter. Mm-hmm. Is here's the burden to receive his grace. Wow, so that's super. That's anyway. super true. So we're we're in chapter ten, and John eats the scroll. He has the angel give this right come down from heaven. Yeah, and it's wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. Face with, was like the sun, and his legs like the pillar of fire. You you made the point off record while we were just setting up that some think that's Jesus. Yeah, so basically every time you're here at Sunday on Sunday morning, you should realize I'm giving you a, a few opinions mm-hmm. or even just my you know understanding of the scriptures. Right. So one that we didn't talk about on Sunday is there are several people that look at this and and view this messenger mm. as Jesus. Now, the reason, and here's the reason why they, they say that is because look at all the badges that they're descriptions of, you know, basically Jesus. So right. you, have, you have the rainbow, you have, look at, look at his face. Sun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you have, it's wrapped up in the cloud. He right. has, you know, the he can fiery roar. legs. He can roar like a yeah, lion. Roars like a lion. And you go, well, that sounds like Jesus. Right. But Jesus is never addressed as an angel in the new Testament. Um, if any, the only occurrence of that would be the angel of the Lord, mm-hmm. which um, is Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So it would be unusual to reference Jesus as an angel here. However, I think what we talked about on Sunday is this angel is wearing all of these badges, so to speak, from the throne room. And mm-hmm. so the point is not necessarily, is this Jesus, but where is that angel from? And that angel is from the very throne room we looked at in chapter 4 and 5. He's wearing all of these markers of... He comes with the full authority of the throne room of God to proclaim the next episodes. Yeah, the sort of it sort of makes a parallel too to like Second Corinthians five, where we like we're Christ's ambassadors. We have some of those badges that we bring mm-hmm. because of behalf of Christ to the world. So that would make sense to me in some ways. Yeah, and he stands on the sea and the land. You know, I. I think the easiest way to say that is he stands on the the fullness of the earth. Mm-hmm. Some people will try to dive into the details of 
is the land Israel and the sea Gentiles or believers, unbelievers. Um, Cause you're gonna see a big distinction between sea and land in the book of revelation. But I think the emphasis here is he stands on the fullness of the earth. Like the message is for the whole earth. Okay. So I, I saw another word in chapter 10 that we didn't talk about much, but it's repeated over and over. And I know in my Bible reading, when something's repeated, it's important. Yeah. And it was the word thunder, which was in chapter 10. And I thought that was really strange how I've never heard that word repeated throughout the scriptures. And it caught my attention in Revelation. Well, I think, 10. think about all the episodes that have in, in Revelation, there's the thunderous, you know, um, peals of thunder. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I think that's pointing to the presence and authority of God being shown. And so, the thunderous. Um, picture is you think of Mount Sinai, like it's thunderous when he's speaking with Moses. Right. So, I mean, there could be, you could press a lot of those details. I think, again, it's another attribute of, and the Lord is speaking, the Lord is decreeing, the Lord is present. Judgment is here also. Yeah. And he tells John not to write it down, which we don't get that message. Yeah. That's super interesting, right? Because Revelation is supposed to be the revealing of Jesus Christ. Right. Which and is another reason they think they think this could be Jesus is remember in the very beginning there was the, the scroll with seven seals mm-hmm. and said who can open who's worthy to open the seals? No one was found worthy. Well now this messenger comes from the throne room mm-hmm. with a little scroll that's opened. And so, oh, is this Jesus from the throne room with the scroll that he has opened, or has the scroll been opened and given to the to the angel? But then the, the seven thunderous uh or seven thunders that's what's not written down. Right. So there's like another piece to this of the mysteries of God that are actually not known. Yeah. So, but let's make sure we catch the main point here. The main point is not in the details, but in the whole of the section here, the main point is like, we're supposed to read this and be humbled and kept dependent upon the Lord. Right. I think in part it's, it's to see what John's doing in proclaiming God's word. Mm. So God God doesn't just want to bring his judgments. doesn't want to bring a conclusion to histories. He wants the world to know what he's up to so that they can respond to his His word. Yeah. I think chapter, well, verse 7 sums that up, right? And I thought, man, this, this could be the whole preach, is like the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he's announced to his servants, the prophets. He's yeah. like, don't y'all know this? It know. sort of feels like that, right? Well, one of our principles of interpretation of Revelation is a lot of the analogies, the pictures, the symbols are the hyperlinks are to the Old Testament. And mm-hmm. the reason they seem so foreign is just because we don't know the Old Testament. Right. And the Old Testament's foreign to us. Whereas to your point here in seven, where it's like these are the mysteries of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. It's okay, so what did he say to the prophets? Right. Are you aware of what he has said? And to help make those hyperlinks, I, th- I think John is paralleling many of the Old Testament prophets. So you're seeing eat this scroll. So immediately you think, well, he's not the first one to eat a scroll. Ezekiel did. Well, then let's go, let's hyperlink this story with Ezekiel. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, I really just appreciate sort of this this section of Scripture. So we, we want to get into sort of the means of grace. As you said at the beginning of your message, the means of grace is proclaimed to enduring and a faithful witness. And this came out of chapter 11, where we encounter two witnesses. Explain what the two witnesses are, what's the point, you know, all that around chapter 11. Well, I think, again, the big idea in 11 is 
in the midst of God's judgment, remember this is a break between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. Mm-hmm. And we see these breaks between six and seven of the, of the seals, of the trumpets, and we'll see it in the bowls. It's a break from action, a pause. It's like almost like allows you to catch your breath. And what you have here is an interlude in which John is seeing a witnessing community at the very end, the precipice before the seventh trumpet is blown. And so the big thread is, okay, this, this whole letter has been written to the church, a believing community filled with both Jews and Gentiles. And God is calling them to be a witness, a faithful witness. And you know that the seven churches, there were two that were faithful witnesses. Five had compromised on their witness in some way. And the witness was too great to the grace of Jesus Christ um, or the truth of Jesus Christ. And there's a variety of ways in which five of those churches had compromised. But the big thread is, hey, there will always be a witnessing community, a faithful, enduring, truthful witnessing community of God's grace until the very end. And then the discussion becomes, well, well, who is this witnessing community of God's grace? But the big idea is, in the midst of judgment till the end, God has a present witness community on the earth. Yeah. And John is, is asked to start to measure it. Yeah which is super interesting because it harkens back again to a prophet we might be unfamiliar, Ezekiel, and how he measured um, in his prophecy. Yeah, it could be, it could be uh, Ezekiel. He has, he has measurements of Jerusalem. It can also be Zechariah. So if you go to Zechariah, I'm just going to punch this in real quick. Yeah, it's Zechariah 4, right? Zechariah 2. So, okay, 2. We'll get to 4. Yeah, 2, 1. He says, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand, then I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And this is an Old Testament way of describing ownership. Mm-hmm. So where are you going? To measure out like, what is the width of, what is the ownership of Jerusalem? And it's also not only ownership of possession, but also of protection. So in verse 4, it says, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it, and I will be to her a wall of fire around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. So I'm going to measure out Jerusalem, he says Zechariah, and I will be the wall, the wall of protection around the people in which I possess. That's and so beautiful. again, you get to Revelation 11, and it's, okay, you have another measuring of who does the Lord possess who who does who do we who belongs to the lord and then is this also part of his protection right and what is he protecting because he's protecting the worship of the temple not the outer courts and so you can see there's going to be persecution of the nations to the believing community um but what's what's going to be protected and persevering is the worship the witness yeah but the witness is going to die too these two witnesses are going to die and be in the ground three and a half days yeah right it's not three days like your normal you would think about all the three-day occurrences in the Bible, resurrection of Jesus being the, you know, the yeah. fitting one of that, but three and a half, and I thought that was very strange. So it's it's again we talked about it on Sunday is well how do you read these times? Mm-hmm. And so there's kind of two 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 approaches that I would say are are really good approaches. I have respect for both of them. Mm-hmm. One is to read it in a quantitative way, like this is chronological. Mm-hmm. You would place this as a start point. You would count this many days, and then they'd have an end point. Now, what's interesting is you know, three and a half years, 42 months. Mm-hmm. 42 months is 1,260 days. So are these distinct times or are these representations of the same kind of time? Mm-hmm. The other way of looking at it is not 
chronological, but it's of its quality. So instead of quantity, it's the quality of what, what kind of days are these? So you go to the Old Testament and say, well, where, like Daniel, um, where, like Elijah, where, like the wilderness, are things like 42, 1,260, three and a half years mentioned? And what was the kind of time that the witness was experiencing? Wilderness, oh. judgments, exile. Yeah. And so is that a description of the kind of time that the, the witnesses will experience in increasing measure up until the seventh trumpet? Wow. So, you, I mean, we keep saying this, this whole series. We've really got to read our Old Testament better. Yeah, and you got, and you really have to make a decision, on like not necessarily a decision of how you're going to read it, but if you have to understand where interpretive lenses have come in, mm-hmm. and there's a great appreciation for both of them because you think of, you know, from Daniel three and a half is you know they're looking at their seventieth week, which is seven, and then divide it in half is three and a half. So a lot of their 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 timeline is things that happen in the in the seven year period of tribulation that change in the first half, three and a half, and the second half, three and a half. And honestly, I think even Jesus' teachings lead to a picture of this, because you have times, this is how it's described as three and a half, times, times, so that's two, and you would think you would go to four, times again, but it's, it's a half, and so it's like times, times time, but then it's cut short. And Jesus always says, like, these are going to be some of the worst times, and no one would survive unless it's cut short. Yeah. So three and a half, I think, in, in several ways is the promise of Jesus saying, hey, he's going to cut short these days so that his witness would endure. Mm. Wow. Interesting. But there's, I mean, yeah, we, we keep going on conjectures, three and a half being just an incomplete seven, a broken seven. Mm-hmm. So seven is completion and perfection. Three and a half is just a description of kind of the, the brokenness of that. Yeah, the warped nature yeah. of this event. Yeah. But the the main point, once again, is that we have some witnesses who have to endure, and yeah. God will be faithful to them, yeah. right? Yeah, and here, here's where I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, you know, maybe it's because I want to, I want my cake and I want to eat it yeah. too. Like, I just want everything to kind of come together and I'm trying to, you know, create too much room. But I think even if you look at 11 with the witnessing community, some people will take a hard line and say, okay, this is a physical temple as anticipated, which is a covenant promise that there would be, God's presence in Israel forever. A restoration. A restoration of the temple, mm-hmm. and that's going to be a physical temple. And the, the witnessing community here is the believing Jewish community that he has already sealed and marked out. Right. Now, when you take that view, which you know I think you could, there's many Gentiles also in this view that come to faith through Israel being the witnessing community. Right. So again... Let me just ask a question. If you have the Jewish community with a physical temple on the planet and many Gentiles come to faith, don't you also have the presence of a church? Right. You know, I mean, to, to some degree. The, the New Testament church. Yeah. So yeah. in some degree, whether you think, hey, the church has already been raptured and this is the, the Jewish believing community that all so witnesses to the world where Gentiles believe, both, both views, whether this is the physical temple or the temple being like a representation of God's people, have in them a believing Jewish community mm-hmm. and a believing Gentile community. Right. Now, you might just disagree on how it got there, but essentially you have a witnessing community filled with believers who are Jews and Gentiles. Mm. So I think that's where like, you just keep, keep the big picture going. Now, when it comes to the two witnesses, that's another conversation. Yeah, totally. I, wanna be, I don't want to get there today because I think you made a wonderful point um, 
in the last half of chapter 11 said, where is temple talked about in the New Testament and how is it talked about in the New Testament? And made the point that most of the New Testament writers talked about the temple of being actually in us and among the believers. Explain what you meant by that. Yeah, so there are several instances where Paul talks about, do you not know that you are the temple of God? Yeah, First uh, Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 2, right? 6. So 6, sorry. Corinthians 6, yep. And then Ephesians 2. And this temple is built on the prophets and the apostles. Mm-hmm. Talking about like one temple from two people groups, you know, the tribes of Israel and the, and the 12 disciples, the apostles. And so I think the reason I lean towards that teaching is probably because that's how the New Testament interprets temple. Because mm-hmm. um, I think the principle that I would, the hermeneutical principle I would go with is, hey, the hyperlinks are the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And you should hang there, and you should also notice how New Testament, specifically Jesus, has either fulfilled these things or reinterpreted them for you. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you see is that they really struggle over this physical temple piece, where Jesus says, hey, destroy this temple, I'll rebuild it. Mm-hmm. Like, how are you going to rebuild this thing? And he says, I, you know, I'm, t- I'm talking about my body yeah. here. And Jesus was never really that impressed with the physical temple. Mm-hmm. The other piece about the physical temple... And the physical temple was very temporary, if you read the story of the temple like the the with Solomon's temple what only had a set period of glory it was never i mean by the time generations come it's ransacked the presence of god has left like it's just it becomes yeah. just a, a monument instead of actually the living presence of god well i think in one thing you want to have in your mind is what's the end game the mm-hmm. end game is to return to what god had created mm-hmm. and some would say eden is is actually the, the temple mm-hmm. is it is the place in which heaven meets earth. It's the place in which God dwells with his people. Now, because that intimacy was broken, what was put in place was like a tabernacle, a portable temple, mm-hmm. and then a physical temple, one and two, physical space. But at the end of Revelation, do you have a physical temple in the New Jerusalem? It says no. It says that God is amongst his people. Like what's been restored is the original picture of Eden without a physical temple, but God with his people. Because the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The giving of the Holy Spirit. So the question then is, okay, and I, and I totally get this, is well, what's the purpose of Israel rebuilding a temple? And people would say, you know, the purpose of rebuilding the temple is to fulfill promises that were not fulfilled yet to the Jewish believing community. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus reigning on earth from David's throne with a temple needs to be done. And so this needs to be rebuilt. Now, one, one place that... I would look at is in Second Chronicles chapter seven is where Solomon dedicates the temple. Just listen to I'll just read this. I don't even throw this on you yet. We didn't even talk about this on Sunday, but let me throw this on you and just see what what lands in your head. So Solomon consecrated the middle courts that was before the house of the Lord, and there he offered the burnt offerings. Okay. At that time, Solomon held a feast for seven days, and all of Israel with him, a very great assembly. Okay, so now they've come together. Verse eleven. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself, a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among the people, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their lands. 
Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as you, if you will, walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded and keeping my statutes, then I will establish your royal throne and covenant with David. Your father saying, you shall not lack a man in or sorry, not lack a man to rule Israel. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from the land that I have given you. And this house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword amongst all people. And at this house, which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done this? to this land and this house. And I will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God, their Father, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. What do you think about in that? I think a lot of things. One, it seems like he fulfilled it with 70 AD, where the destruction of the temple, it's been unhinged, never will be built again. You know what I mean? Like the judgment was true of that. But I also think he loves that place in a way in which I was unfamiliar that he loved that that much. He loves that place, right? Right. So I think in, in, in one sense, he has to accomplish his purposes on the world from a centerpiece. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, by his own deciding, he has made Israel the centerpiece of his actions. Mm-hmm. And so we should not be surprised that the world's attention is often on Israel. We shouldn't be surprised that there's much activity in Israel, especially with eschatological issues, because he has made Israel a centerpiece, even the temple a centerpiece. But the temple is removed if they're disobedient. Yeah, and it becomes, will not. A, it becomes a proverb. Yeah. It's a destruction for us. And so let me, let, I would just be surprised if God would be honored for them to rebuild a temple before they embrace Christ. They've rejected their Messiah. And I think the Lord is saying, okay, before we rebuild the temple, which he wants to do, which is his presence with his people, more than that, I want to see Zechariah 10 come to fulfillment, which is my people will look upon him whom they pierced, and they will mourn. And he's waiting for his people to receive him. And so I think more, more excitement for me is, will the, will the Jewish community embrace Messiah, Jesus? Not, hey, can they get their temple so that Jesus can come? Right. They want their hearts to embrace Christ, that he, that Jesus would bring his temple, his presence to the world. Hmm. So, Wonderful. kind of a random thought, but no. I do think the reason there's not a temple in Israel is because they, hey, you've rejected Messiah. That's yeah. what Jesus says. That's the judgment. Yeah. And I don't know if God's passionate about rebuilding the house until his people repent and come to embrace the works of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Yeah. That's that's really great, Thomas. I really appreciate you slowing down and talking about some of these things. As we get ready for, let us turn the corner. As we get ready for chapter 12, 13, 14, you say those are in the next sort of sections. Um, how should we be reading Revelation? What notes should we be taking? What things should we be underlining? How, how should we approach it as we prepare uh, as the people of Calvary Bible Church? Yeah, I think once again, um, being okay with vivid imagery mm-hmm. to help 
bring out teachings, um, to have a good understanding of the use of numbers mm-hmm. in the book of Revelation. Like what, what, what meaning do they bring? What, what kind of meaning is John trying to insinuate? And then as we step into 12, 13, and 14, it'd be really good to have in your mind that the devil and Jesus are not equals. Mm-hmm. They're not um, a dualistic battle going on amongst equals. Michael and Satan are two angelic beings of high ranking that are waging war. But that's not between Satan and Jesus. Right. Jesus is God. He's the conquering king. And so when we step into 12, 13, and 14, to have eyes to see how the devil counterfeits all the things that we've seen of God in his throne. Mm. He's going to show up in ways that counterfeit, pervert all the things of Jesus. There's going to be, there's a trinity of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's going to be a demonic trinity. Mm. There's going to be a mark of the lamb and there's going to be a mark of the beast. There is going to be power and authority that he tries to counterfeit and deceive the nations to follow him. There's going to be signs and wonders on both sides. And so you're going to see that the beast, he has nothing new. All he can do is pervert and counterfeit something that God has made. Because Jesus is greater. Yeah. That's amazing. All right, Calvary, you heard it from Thomas. Know how to read the next couple of chapters here in this wonderful book we're going through this fall, as well as remember, Jesus is the great Messiah, the Lord, the King, and all things are under his feet. See ya.